to The Forbes Factor, featuring celebrity TV host, million-dollar entrepreneur, and renowned health and fitness superstar, Forbes Riley, a familiar face from TV, as well as one of today's most sought-after female motivational speakers today. You'll connect with some of the top experts in health and fitness, business, and personal development, as well as some surprise celebrities, all sharing their insight, tips, and tricks to finding true happiness. Now, here's your host, Forbes Riley. Hey, everybody. It's Forbes Riley here with the Forbes Factor, one of my favorite hours of the week. And we're talking about, I've got two very dynamic guests. We're talking about marketing, the concept of how do you get the idea that's in your head, your heart, your business out to the world. And I will tell you, as somebody who was a pioneer in the world of marketing back in the early 80s and 90s, uh, a lot of my spectacular success came with a thing called infomercials. Now, the cool part about that is I got a new Netflix TV series all about infomercials that I am one of the stars of. I'm excited about that. If you don't know what an infomercial is, it was a half hour television show. What happened was in the early days of TV, uh, long before they had the wheel, no, in the early days of TV, they, television only went from six in the morning until midnight, and then they had snow. And if you're up late at night, you're an insomniac, you were listening to the radio, reading a book or going to bed. And one day, one of my one of my friends, teammates, producers had said, you know, what happens during that time? Is that airtime available? Can we buy that airtime? And sure enough, it was. And what happened slowly but surely was that airtime was available to anybody to buy at a very inexpensive rate. We bought the airtime and then aired these half hour programs about selling everything from the you've seen the Ginsu knife and you've seen the Chia Pet and the yes, my Jacqueline power juicer. And it was kind of dynamic because we could buy the half hour for not a lot of money because they didn't think anyone was watching. And you could also sell the commercial time and infomercials were born. And I will tell you, at some point in the mid 1990s, it was like printing money. Uh, what I my expertise was in the art of pitching. I was not really the marketer. I just understood the marketing language. Well, fast forward to the internet taking over, and TV is. I still have a few infomercials running, but TV is relegated to watching it in the airport, your doctor's office, and in senior homes. Yeah, we know who's watching now. Most of the rest of us are watching cable television, and the problem with that is, you know, when there are only three networks, there was ABC, NBC, and CBS. It was really easy. You bought the airtime. You knew when it was gonna it was gonna play and. Great. Then there were 10 networks and then there were 500 networks. And all of a sudden, how did you find anything? How did anyone get their ideas out there? And then the Internet happened. I'm not going to give you my personal Internet secrets, but I will share with you that the coolest thing about the Internet is there's no barrier to entry. You can start a social media channel completely for free. You can get your stuff out there. But there's also millions of people out there. How do you get heard from? How do you differentiate the noise? So I would like to bring up one of my first guests who can help answer some of these questions. <laughs> I'm going to start with Mr. Robert Ross. Robert, please welcome to the stage. Hello, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Did you like infomercials back then? Did you ever watch any? I did, yeah. I mean, you're speaking my language, right? I mean, I came out of the world of television. So that was, uh, that was the, the early days of cable TV was like the Wild West. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And there was, <laughs> there was a lot of characters for sure, including yourself. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, I know. Uh, you know, I hung out with the likes of Body by Jake and Jack LaLanne and Tony sure. Robinson, Tony Little, and yeah, all the Tonys. And we created some monster hits. I mean, literally, Jacqueline Juicer grossed a billion dollars in sales in Indeed. 80 countries in eight years. And all I did was film the video once. Can you imagine nowadays having that kind of power? Mm. All right. So give us a little bit of your history coming from the world of TV. Sure. Well, I came out of television and then I got into this new thing called the Internet in the early 2000s. And 
ended up basically as the CMO of a small software company here, you know, the typical two rounds of Silicon Valley funding, the whole thing. And what I knew how to do was to create entertaining, educational, sort of informative content. So that's what I built, right? I was, we were competing with the really large companies of the time, Microsoft and Hewlett Packard and IBM. And we were just a small little startup and we knew we'd never beat them in search or we'd never beat them in advertising, never beat them in brand. But what we could beat them at is being a mile deeper than they were in information education and, and sort of engaging content. And so I ended up building a little media company within uh, our little marketing department and it worked and we grew the company and it was great and everything was off, awesome. And ultimately I started in on this thing called content marketing, which started really in the the late, you know, 2008, 2009 timeframe. And a buddy of mine ended up, we formed a company called the Content Marketing Institute, where we sort of took this new operational process of building in a media company inside of a company, no matter how big or small, Right, and really using it to further marketing processes and those kinds of things. And I've been helping companies figure that out for the last ten or thirteen years, and that's uh, that's that's how I came to it. Where do you think your genius in terms of marketing comes from? Well, I you know I'm not sure I would call myself a genius. I just recognize a few patterns along the way, and and quite honestly, it was it was uh, it was about the fact that I hate selling. I hate selling. I hate 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 it. And I. <laughs> And what I what I what got me out of bed every day was creating interesting stuff, right? That's why I got into TV in the first place and wanted to create interesting things that people found interesting or helpful or whatever. And so it's funny because it goes all the way back to some of the earliest uh, ad men, mad men back in the day where we used to say, look, people don't look at ads. They look at what interests them. And hopefully, thankfully, somewhere along the lines, we, we create an ad that interests them. And it's just more interesting to create fun, interesting things and valuable content for people than it is to create ads. Isn't that kind of ironic how that works? Yeah, exactly. And so what's one big advice that you would give to an entrepreneur right now if they're just thinking about how to start their marketing? So figure out basically, I mean, look, this doesn't mean that marketing and advertising doesn't work because it does. And, and, and there are certainly paid channels like advertising, like sponsored content, like sponsored social media that still work very, very, very well in terms of aggregating the audience that you want. But the key is to differentiate today is you've got to find your story, Like, What is your point of view on the world and how are you going to basically add value to people's lives, not only with your product and service, but with your thought, with your thinking, with your content. And that creating those experiences, whether it's a blog, whether it's a podcast, whether like you said in the very beginning, it's your social media channels, whatever that thing is for you, whether you're a solopreneur or whether you're starting a business of 50 or 100 or 1,000 people, finding that story and starting to build a media platform should be a core component of what it is you're doing in marketing. And finding that thing is usually the hardest thing. Once you've found it, once you've started to really build an audience that is interested in what you have to say, not just what you have to sell, then you can start leveraging that because you're creating better customers at the end of the day. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. What you have to say, not what you have to sell. I love that because so many times people come to me, they want to pitch and they'll immediately going, well, here's the product. Let me tell you about the product, all about the product. And I'm like, I've never sold a product that way. And I've sold two and a half billion dollars worth of them. Exactly. I love the fact that you've come to that sense of knowledge. Robert, I'm going to tuck you into the audience for a quick second. I'm going to bring up a guy who is, 
really devoted to helping people understand and so much so that he created an agency in the world of marketing. Let's bring up Mr. Chris Daly. Chris, Chris, Chris. I'm hey. Loving, I'm loving the hair. I'm doing that. <laughs> it's, it's that between that and the microphone. It's like Bob Biggs boy. I like this. I'm going to keep it going for as long as I can rock it. <laughs> I love it. So you just heard the intro. Now you're a little bit younger. Do you remember infomercials? I do remember info- infomercials. That's all there was to watch when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> when that I was gorgeous. up late at night, yeah. when I was little. That's what I want to hear. I watched <laughs> you when I was little. All right. So you're in the world of marketing as well, but you have a little bit of a different take on this in terms of the digital space. How did you come to do what you do? Yeah. So I started out um, doing digital marketing back in 2008, 2009, back when you know digital marketing was still a relatively new thing, um, and and I started my career doing what's called search engine optimization, which is all about trying to get discovered on Google, right? Um, and there was lots of little tactics and tricks you could do back in the, back then that don't work at all now. In fact, we'll get you blacklisted off Google now. But um, so back then, you know, it was all about trying to get more traffic to your website, um, trying to get people eyeballs on your site so that you can sell them or get them signed up for a demo or whatever it is that you're doing on your website. So I remember distinctly um, back in, I think, 2010, I walked into a meeting with the executive team where they were all at this big table. And I was really excited to meet with them because we had tripled the traffic to our site over about a six month time frame. So I was showing all these graphs going up and to the right. I had this great presentation, you know, everything we're doing is just crushing it. And then they asked me the question that ended up changing my career. So they, they said, okay, so you tripled traffic to our site. So what? And I was like, what do you mean? So what? Like we've been trying to get people to our site. I've, I, I've been crushing it. Like I wanted a, I wanted a promotion, a raise, something like that. And they said, well, what kind of business did that generate for us? And I said, oh, I actually don't know. Um, so I said, well, you probably ought to figure that out. Right. So I started digging. And what I realized af- after I started digging into the numbers was we had tripled traffic, but conversions hadn't actually increased. Oh no. So then I'm faced with a huge dilemma, which is, okay, there's one of two things that's happening here. Either we're driving the wrong people to the site or the site isn't converting these people, right? And you know, I, of course, refused to believe that the traffic sucked because I had spent all this time cultivating that traffic. So I'm like, okay, so maybe there's a problem with the website. But then I encountered another problem, which was as I started going around asking people nobody thought that there was any problem. So I went to the designers and I said, uh, why do you think people wouldn't be converting? And the designer said, oh, there's no problems with the design. It can't be the design. Like our design is amazing. So it can't be the design. And the developers, I go to them and they said, oh, there's no problem with the, with the development. Our, our site works at 99% uptime, et cetera. Go, you know, I mean, you go around to all these different divisions in marketing. Everyone thinks their stuff is awesome. And so it's like, well, it can't all be awesome or we'd be converting all these people. So what I did was I did a little research. I discovered there was something called A-B testing where you could take a page on your site, you could create a copy of it and change something and then split people between those two and see which one worked best. Now, this has been happening for years and years in the retail space. Stores like Walmart, for example, they're constantly playing around with different arrangements of their store. Where should we put the milk? Where should we put the chips? Where should we put the sodas, et cetera, to figure out what's going to get the best uh, you know, bang for their buck in their stores. So I did this on our website. I, I created a copy of one of our key conversion pages on our site. It was actually a long form content page. 
And I, I didn't know what I was doing. I had no methodology, no strategy. I just said, let's just see what happens. So I created a short form version of this page. Um, just reduce some of the copy, cut some of the stuff out and split the traffic. Conversion rates increased by about 15%. As soon as I saw that, I went, wow, that made more of an impact, that one test, than all of those months of SEO that I'd been doing. So I switched over to that back in you know, 2010, 2011, and I've spent the last uh, you know, 11, 12 years building out a methodology around conversion rate optimization to really figure out what do people need to see when they come to a website in order to convert. Wow. So you build out a methodology, but what does that mean? Drill down a little bit deeper because I'm very curious. So my methodology that I've developed, it, it really kind of it centers around a couple of key pillars. So the first pillar that I kind of build my marketing around is something that I call existence testing. So what I find is a lot of businesses that I go in and work with have a lot of built-in assumptions. So I'll ask my clients, who's your customer? And they'll say, oh, well, our customer is, you know, women 20 to 35 that are, you know, working these kinds of jobs that have this kind of disposable income. And they follow these kinds of brands on social media. Therefore, and then they'll put in all of their assumptions. Therefore, we've designed our site to look just like Nordstrom or Amazon or whatever it is. And we've, or we've made our site look like Instagram because they're coming from Instagram. And we've done all these great things. We, we've, we create lots of videos because people on our space do tons of video content. So we have videos all over our site. And anyways, all of those things are cool but they, they haven't actually found out whether or not those things actually work. And so the first pillar that I build my, my strategies around is let's see what happens if we take away some of the things we're doing now. So we'll create A-B tests on a site and we will test removing things strategically from the site. What happens mm. if we remove the video? What happens if we remove reviews from this page? What happens if we remove product from your homepage? Or what happens if we remove the demo request button that you have on the homepage? Whatever. And we'll find one of two things. Well, one of three things will happen. One, it will perform better, right? So right there, we, we kill an assumption, which is we thought we should have our video on the homepage. Turns out our customers actually don't want video on the homepage. And then we'll come up with hypotheses as to why, right? Second thing that will happen is nothing. You remove a video from the homepage and conversion rates stay the same, which means that your customers don't care about that thing one way or another, right? It's not actually influencing your conversion rate. Your customers don't care. Maybe they're watching it, maybe they're not, but it's not actually helping them convert. And the third thing that'll happen is your conversion rates will, will drop. And so that tells us the customers do want that. Not only do they want it, but it's actually helping them convert. And so when once we find something that's helping customers convert, whether it's reviews, video, or anything else, then we drill deep. So if it is reviews, for example, I had a client that sells smartphones for kids. They're dumb phones, really. So phones for kids. We found removing reviews from their homepage dropped conversion rates by like 25%. So not only were reviews important, reviews were like the most important thing. So then what we did is now let's run a bunch of tests around reviews. What if we test long reviews versus short reviews? What if we test parent reviews versus kid reviews? What if we test three reviews versus six reviews versus an endless scrolling list of reviews? Um, you know, and then you dig really deep to try to identify what content does the audience want here? So really my approach is it's kind of like playing a game hot or cold. Let's go this way. If, if, if it's cold, if the audience doesn't like it, then let's go the opposite way. If they like that way, let's keep going and let's drill as deep as we can get. You have the patience of a saint. 
<laughs> I got to tell you. So I'm going to bring him back, Robert, so that we can bring him in part of this conversation. <clears throat> Robert, welcome back into the conversation. I love Chris. You know, that is a genius concept. I don't know if I have enough patience to do that. That's why I would have to hire you. But I love that idea. Robert, what do you think about the whole concept of A-B testing? Oh, well, I love A-B testing. Um, and and I love the uh, approach that Chris has for it because it's so, everybody thinks it's so complicated and so really just so, so complex that, you know, you can't do it. But he's, man, you know, he's managed to explain it in such a great way to, to, to keep it really to keep to keep it really simple and straightforward, it is literally just about removing all the things that don't look like a great sculpture until you've got a great sculpture that that does what it's supposed to do. See, you know what's so interesting about this? Because I do come from the world of infomercials. If you were going to do that kind of testing, it would have costed you hundreds of millions of dollars. Because every time you wanted to change one thing, you'd have to then reproduce that entire video, send it out to all the stations, and it was cost prohibitive. And so I feel like I need to move into in the internet just a little bit more because now. It's free to do that. You literally can make one change, put it back out there, buy your ads and see what it does, correct? Yeah, in fact, you can do it in real time. You're, you're not actually having to change. You don't have to publish any changes on your site. You can just say, let's add a new one. Let's add another one. Let's add another one. And let's keep splitting traffic. And we'll keep, you know, I mean, to kind of along the lines of what Robert does, you know, Robert being in the content marketing world, he's trying to figure out what content is going to resonate for people. And I'm basically doing the same thing, right? We're, we're yeah. saying, okay, hey, if this content resonates, let's figure out exactly how long it should be. Let's figure out exactly what tone it should have. Let's figure out if we have a pain point focus or, or a benefits focus. Um, you know, it's really just fine tuning over time. And it, yeah, you're right. It is, it is very easy, very low barrier to do this. So Chris, when you do this with a company, what kind of returns and things have changed for the companies? So it really depends. It depends on how much traffic a company's driving. It depends on what kind of traffic. Obviously, when a company is trying to expand their marketing efforts, they're usually driving higher and higher funnel traffic, which means lower and lower intent people to the site. And those kinds of people want different content than people who know your brand and are familiar with your brand. Um, and so it kind of depends on what type of traffic we are we are testing on. Typically, what I'm seeing with my clients is 20 to 30% increases in conversion rates within about a three to six month time frame. And so, you know, you take whatever, if you're, if you're putting in a dollar and getting out $5, you know, if you, if you test for three to six months, you get $6 out instead of $5. It's really just, it's improving the efficiency of, of your marketing dollars. Do you prefer to work with entrepreneurs or big companies? Um, I don't necessarily have a preference. They both have their strengths and weaknesses. I found that uh, entrepreneurs typically have a lot more opinions because it's their brand, it's their <laughs> identity. Uh, bigger brands, you know, you're working with a marketing manager that is like, I don't care, I'm just here to do my job. And so, uh, but but um, CEOs, entrepreneurs, they tend to be really passionate about it. And so, if we can find something that works really well, it'll blow their you know blow their mind and and change their world and change their their paradigm. And so. I love aspects of both. I don't have a preference. <laughs> I love it. So Robert, you know, the internet is so different from television for us. Where do you find that you're focusing your time and attention right now? Well, it, it's been about, uh, I think it's been about 17 or 18 minutes and none of us have mentioned AI yet, but um, yes, that's, that's <laughs> where, that's where the attention is primarily these days. And, and, and it feeds right into what Chris is talking about with, the number of iterations of content that you have to create these days in terms of to do A-B testing. Um, one of the ways to scale that, of course, is to have AI rewrite it for you. So we're spending a ton of time there, but I will tell you primarily where we're spending our time is how do you actually create 
these owned media properties, whether it's your blog or your website or uh, your e-commerce store or all of these kinds of things and scale that. And because really at the end of the day, when we're starting to see advertising become as hard as it is and, and as noisy as it is, and the, you know, Google getting rid of the third party cookie and data becoming really important. First party subscriber audience data is so important, especially for things like testing, finding out who is really consuming your content is so important. We're really trying to find ways for organizations to basically have the time, have the bandwidth, have the effort to actually create all this content that they need to create. So let me drill down because my audience is primarily entrepreneurs. People who are attracted mm. to me are, are a lot of startups in a lot of ways, not big companies, uh, at least for this show. And I, I love that because that's where I came from. I built my business. I have a multi-million dollar business I built with my daughter from scratch. Uh, beyond all my infomercials, because, and I love to talk to those people because it was so hard. So for about 15 or years or so, I'd gotten introduced to a lot of the big digital marketers when they all started, the Perry Belchers and the Ryan Dice and all of those guys in the beginning. And I was just marveling, kind of like I wish I bought business.com. I could have done that too, like my friend and for $52 million on his $8 <laughs> investment. Just watch the world go by. Oh, look, look at all of that. Look at the real estate. Sometimes you do that. My daughter brought Bitcoin to me at $100 and I'm like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not always right. When she brought it, she was 14 years old. Mom, want to buy it now for 500? I'm like, I didn't want to buy it for 100. Why would I buy it for 500? Said, Mom, you could sell it for 66,000. Now you blew it. Yeah. I'm never going to forget that moment because it was like, wow, I didn't really know what I didn't know, like a lot of people out there. So you can't go back, but you can start today. Mm. And one of the things for me was as an entrepreneur, I looked at all of these systems and they look complicated between the email marketing, the digital. And I thought, wow. So I hired people and I spent a lot of money that didn't go anywhere. Now, there were two reasons. One, I can blame all of it on them, or I can blame the fact that I didn't understand it either. Sometimes I didn't know what I had in front of me or what I could be doing. So I'll take a little bit of blame for wasting hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, <laughs> I wanted a magic genie to walk in and fix my problems. I think a lot of entrepreneurs feel that way. I also do fitness. They also want that magic pill. So I can't blame people, but it's not realistic. What changed for me was when my daughter came to me during COVID at 17 and she'd already been making a lot of money online, was doing drop shipping, had a really good handle on it, said, mom, I'm going to take the front end business that you know so well, bring in all the back end and make it work. And the first day I remember looking at her and saying, what does the K stand for? She said, mom, last night in your account, when you did your first webinar, you made $25,000. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, that's cool. Six weeks later, four weeks later, it was 100,000. Six months later, it was 1.2 million. I'm like, man, I was sitting on a gold mine all along and didn't know it. Now, I'm going to say that's true for a lot of people. I listen to the two of you talk, and that's definitely one side of my brain. Let's drill this down for an entrepreneur who's got a great idea, product, or service. They're new to the traffic industry, but they have the ability to A-B test. You can do that with most basic software now, um, writing content and all of that. But I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs like myself could even really nail down their ideal customer or what kind of tweaks to make. So, Robert, let me start with you. What advice would you give to this entrepreneur? They've got great ideas. And if they don't do something, you know it's going to die. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> they believe they have a great idea. Um, but I think you said the magic words, right? They don't know their customer. So that's step number one is you've got to know your customer. You've got to know who they are, what they want, who they are as people. What do the, you know, what are their pain points? What do they struggle with? You know, and so that's your job as an entrepreneur is to understand your customer beyond that. Wait, no, wait, wait, I'm going to drill down even one step. Yeah. Maybe I should ask AI this question. 
what's the secret? And Chris, I'm going to come to unlocking this. Now, I'm I probably I'm the queen of the stubbornness about this. And I'll tell you why. My job for about 30 years was to go into home shopping. I generally had an idea of what the customer was, as did the company. And I watched them lay her out and I didn't agree with them. They thought she was younger and richer. I thought I met them in person at some point. But I, my philosophy was always because I was always hitting such a broad target that I would take and understand one customer, morph what I had to do, and then kind of just generally address them. What you're telling me now is I would have been better served if I really specifically did that. But how do you do that? Well, <laughs> there are a number of ways to research your company, customer, but the, the best one is to know them, to go and meet them, go talk with them, go, go visit with them, go understand them as people, like know who they are. Um, you can certainly research them, and there are plenty of research tools out there that are, that are available to you to go understand what their buying habits are, where they have pain points, and what they do for a living. But I've found that the best way for me as a solopreneur to understand my customer is to literally go meet them is to literally go and know them and to understand them as humans and really where they are in their lives, because that's what's going to give me the intimate understanding of saying, where can I help so solve something that they need or want? That's that's job number one. Okay. I, I love that. I think that's fascinating because for the longest time I would, I mean, remember, I didn't ever buy ads. I just, like I said, threw stuff on television, threw stuff everywhere and it landed where it did. So I am now slowly begrudgingly going, okay, let me ask them exactly what kind of tea they drink in the morning and how kind of dog they own. Um, Chris, what is your take on that? Um, so I'm obviously, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a digital first kind of guy. And so, and, and being a testing kind of a guy, I'm all about testing ideas. So I'll, I'll tell you, I had an idea for a podcast a while back um, and I didn't want to go full, full bore into it. And I probably should have, because I still think it was a pretty fun idea. But anyways, what I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to start to get a sense for what kind of podcast would people like, what kind of even even at the name level, what kind of name would resonate? And so what I did was I I took a hundred bucks, I put a hundred bucks into ads, and I tested four different show names as the headline of the podcast. And I sent them to a landing page that didn't even work. It was just, it was, I mean, it it worked. It was a landing page that said coming soon, you know. But basically what I wanted to do is I wanted to see which one will have the highest click-through rate. Because that will give me an initial pulse on people's interest. The one that has the highest click-through rate is probably the most intriguing name of a podcast. And then basically what you can do is progressively test your way into an idea. You test the name, get a good name. Then you can test the, the landing page destination, test three different types of landing pages with like a, just an email sign-up box. And then from there, you can kind of just really test your way into the into the idea that you have. Again, this is for a podcast, but you could do the same for a product. You could do the same for a service and, and kind of test your idea into fruition. Um, so that's kind of my approach is let's just throw them some things out there because there, there's two kinds of psychological preferences that people have. There's what, what psychologists call a stated preference. I like podcasts that are like this. I like this. And then there's what they call revealed preferences, which is what they actually do when they have a decision in front of them. So mm -hmm. I'm more of the kind of guy that tries to get revealed preferences out of people. If I give you four choices, which one are you actually going to pick versus asking people what they want and then doing what they told me? I love this. Robert, what's your take on that? 
Yeah, it's a, it's, I, well, I absolutely love the idea of revealed preferences versus stated preferences because we see that all the time, right? Which is, you know, I mean, ask people if they want a car and they'll tell you they want a faster horse, right? That's the classic of this, you know, with, <laughs> with Steve, you know, the way Steve Jobs, def, you know, nobody knew what an iPhone was going to be. So there was no way to actually, you know, look at this and say, oh, what's your, you know, what, what do you, what do you want out of an iPhone? I don't know. I don't even know what an iPhone is. And so there is definitely, true value in terms of looking at a general testing pattern for understanding. We, we look at it from three prongs of a stool, right? Audience research from three prongs of a stool. One, go out and meet them and ask them what that, that you'll get stated preferences as, 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 as was said. The second is actually go out and look at research. Like what do they actually do? Look at the data, look at the, what the data tells you that they actually did. And the third is actually go out and look at the aggregated research. And in, in other words, what do the associations say? What do the buying habits say of general, you know, other brands that have done this before? What what do those patterns indicate? And looking at those three things together is the way to start to build a more three-dimensional picture of your, your customer. Chris, what's one of the things that surprised you most? That you're going out doing all this and you thought, man, I could have sworn it was going to be A and it was definitely Z. <laughs> that happens that all the time. In fact, that's my favorite part of my job is I am every week as I'm, as I'm reviewing test results every week, I'm shocked by something that was counter to best practice. I'll tell you one thing that, that happened recently um, that was a big eye-opener. In fact, such a big eye-opener that my client almost didn't even believe that, this, that it was true. So this is a, an e-commerce website. So they're selling products on their website. And they had just picked a Shopify template, right? So not only did they pick a Shopify template, they found their biggest competitor and picked the same template that they were using. So it's like, okay, here's a big company out there that's super successful. If we do what they're doing, it's going to work for us. Right. And there's no doubt about it. This company has had a lot of success. However, we ran a test. Their template built into it had prices displayed for products anywhere a product displayed. So on the homepage, they had bestsellers and it showed, you know, their eight bestselling products and then it had the price and then, you know, go to the product page or whatever. And on collections pages, it had the, you know, and a collections page being here's all of our socks or here's all of our t-shirts, whatever it is. Right. You had the product, the price, the reviews, and then, you know, like few, few product details or add to cart or whatever. We ran a test that, that removed prices and removed reviews and that increased conversion rates by almost 30%. I mean, I mean, through the roof, extreme lift in, in revenue. And I mean, we ran this test for about a month and we had hundreds of thousands of visitors through this test. It was a very statistically significant test. Um, oh. But that was one of those things where it's like, it's kind of a best practice. You see it on Amazon. You go to Amazon's homepage, you see the product, you see the price, you can buy it now, or you can go to the product page or whatever. And so when I showed those, those to my client, they said, I can't even find another e-commerce site that doesn't have prices on the collections page. And I said, bingo, that's the problem is everybody's just going, everyone's just doing what everybody else is doing. None of these other people that you're looking at are testing. So no one's actually ever stopped to challenge the status quo. So that was a fun one. You're like the test guy. I love this. <laughs> Chris, how do people find you if they want to? Uh, so my website is um, smart-cro.com. Uh, my, my mascot is a crow because everyone always thinks it's smart crow, but smart CRO for conversion rate optimization. Um, and I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm actually, I'm not on uh, Facebook. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a 
really bad, bad digital marketer. Um, <laughs> so I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, um, but uh, most active on LinkedIn, or you, like I said, you can go to my website, smart-cro.com. I love that. Mr. Robert, what's one something in your marketing world that just kind of had you scratching your head going, really? Uh, you know, it's it's all of the it's the executives now that are looking now at saying, hey, here's how many people can we cut with if we put artificial intelligence in here? Like how many people can we get rid of? Um, that's really making me scratch my head because really what we're seeing is the emergence of human created content being way more differentiating, way more valuable uh, than what we're seeing otherwise. And so I'm still scratching my head. I mean, it's young and we're in early days yet, but the businesses we're talking to right now are using, you know, as I've been saying with AI, creating content is the least interesting thing that AI does. Oh, that's interesting. What does that mean for you? It means looking, well, I, what I do is I take ChatGPT at its name, right? Where I find the most valuable with AI these days is actually chatting with it, right? Asking it questions and doing research and looking at it as a, as a way to solve uh, sort of patternistic problems that I'm having. Like, you know, hey, do this math that I can't find, you know, anywhere else. Or let me just explain what I'm doing and you tell me where what I'm not thinking about. Or give me the 10 things, you know, here's my, you know, here's my latest a uh, few blog posts, tell me what I'm not covering that I should be covering, really having a conversation with it and using it to get insight rather than saying, hey, generate a, you know, generate a blog post for me or a social post for me because I'm too lazy to do that myself. I love that. You know, maybe I should go on a date with chat. That would be fun. Kind of, but <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I, I know people who have done that. At, uh, yes, I would. I would just say your mileage may vary. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I will tell you, that's fascinating. I don't think people realize. I love that idea to have a conversation with it. I know my daughter's thing because she's younger and I listen to younger people now. Uh, she said, Mom, whenever you sign on, make sure that you're nice to it because when they take over, they'll remember. <laughs> it is. Yes, exactly. She was rude. She stole my information. Yes. Um, Chris, can you tell the difference if you read something that's AI written or human written? Hmm. I think that I can, but I don't believe that I really can. I, I don't think so. Um, and and frankly, I mean, to Robert's point, um, AI can get so good if you if you get good at using it, right? So, I mean, the the only ways that I will really use it is to, to Robert's point. You don't want to use it to be lazy. What what I like to use AI for is a way of expanding your current mindset. So, for example, if we're to, if I'm testing headlines on a landing page. What I will usually do is I'll create the four or five variations that are obvious to me that we should test. And then I'll say to Chad GPT, write 20 headlines for me for this page. And then there will usually be one or two nuggets in there that's like, oh, I didn't really yeah. think of doing that. So it's a way of kind of expanding my, my mind. But, but in that sense, it's like, look, I created four or five of the variations. Chad GPT created one or two of the variations. And if you were to stack them all next to next to each other, you would not be able to tell which one was written by Chris and which one was a chat GPT. So Robert, should we be nervous about chat about AI in general? What's your take on that? Well, my only, my only nervousness is how nervous some of the experts are. I mean, you know, in other words, I look at it and I say, Hey, it's another tool. It's going to be interesting. It's not going to be you know, when we when we look at the the rollout of and specifically here, generative AI, right, that that which is, you know, largely considered because there's AI and all sorts of other things, including in Chris's technology and the kinds of things that he's dealing with every day, where the display of content is driven by artificial intelligence, which is a whole different topic. But generally speaking, 
I'm not terribly nervous in the short term, but I listen to all of the academics and the experts out there who are saying that we should be more nervous than we are. And, you know, it, it, it gives you pause. And you, I've been doing a lot of reading on it. And uh, what I've come to the conclusion to is it's, you know, as Clayton Christensen once said, you may hate gravity, but gravity doesn't care. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's coming anyway. That's a very, very good point. Robert, how do we find you? Uh, you can find me through my website, uh, my little company, uh, Consulting and Education and Training, which is contentadvisory.net. .net, of course, the dad genes of all domains. Um, and then, of course, on social media, you can find me on LinkedIn, which is where I'm spending all my time. I've kind of given up on Elon and X and that whole nonsense. Yeah, that was not – I think they should have tested that just a little bit further before they made <laughs> you that think? move. Made, you really? Think? Yeah. Well, I was around when Coke tried to change their formula. I got to yeah. tell you, it didn't work. And then two, <laughs> well, and then two, two words for people who don't want to test. Bud Light. There it is. Uh, <laughs> well, because that was, you know, having hired you guys, I'm sure they hired an entire team of, of smart people who are thinking about that, but maybe they weren't. You know, so Chris, when I, again, I think people are often surprised. Do you think that they, in that particular case, or like a couple of the bigger companies, they tested or they just went on instinct? Uh, <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to cast any uh, unfounded allegations, <sighs> but my experience is that most businesses do not test um, a big ideas like that. It's there's usually a, a, an executive that is running an initiative. They have this great idea and nobody really wants to disagree with them. Most people are just trying to make it happen and bring it to fruition. And so I would not be surprised if they did not test. Um, they may, for all I know, they may have tested t tons of different initiatives or, or tons of different formulas. I, I mean, you know, the, the Coke versus Pepsi challenge is a great, example of where testing did happen and the results were actually pretty misleading where, you know, Coke, the, the Pepsi people would do the Pepsi challenge, have them sip this much Pepsi and this much Coke. Well, people like this much Pepsi more than this much Coke, but they don't like a can of Pepsi more than they like a can of Coke. And so, you know, even sometimes you can, you can create misleading results by creating a test that, that is, uh, that is confirming your bias. So anyways, I, again, I, I, I am of the belief that every company should test more than they are, especially big companies. Big companies become really, really liable uh, to going with big, fancy new ideas that, that don't end up working. Have you created materials that the smaller companies can figure out how to test better? Is that part of what you're thinking about doing? Uh, um, sorry, when you, when you say material, you mean? Well, so if I was a small company and I get the idea, yes, we should test more. Is there a training or a course that I can go on how to create tests? So I don't have, I mean, there, there are lots of great resources online. I don't have anything particular that I would send people to. What I usually will say is start testing. And the best place that I think, um, the best place to start testing is your value proposition, your company value proposition. Because most companies, if I was to give you, for example, for your, for your business, for any of your businesses, if I was to say, what's your value proposition or value propositions, you could probably rattle off five to 10 value propositions. Oh, well, we do this and we do this and we're great at this and people love this and people love this, right? And there's usually one or two that really resonate, that will really create a conversion Ooh. response with your online audience. So a great initial test to run is go to your biggest conversion page, go to your landing page and test Take take your little brainstormed list of uh, of value propositions and test those as your headline, right? Like, I am the A/B testing guy. I increase conversion rates by twenty percent. I help you make data driven decisions. I 
prove that your website redesign sucks. Like whatever it is, right? I can tell you all these different value propositions, make that your headline, split test those against each other. And that'll help you at least just get into the world of A-B testing it. That removes some of the barriers. Um, I will say I did create a, um, I created an offer specifically for your audience. Um, so for anyone who's not really sure where to start, um, I'm offering a free 30-minute um, consultation uh, to kind of give people a, a brainstorming session on what tests might be valuable to run. So if anyone if, if anyone that's listening to this is interested in getting kind of a brainstorming session with Chris um, and having a, a website audit, they can go to smart-cro.com slash Forbes-factor. Um, and I will give a, a free 30-minute audit. And like I said, go through... Here's probably the first five or 10 things that I would test. Here are some easy ones to test. Here's some tools that you can use, et cetera. Well, I think I'm going to sign my CEO up to have be the very first customer for that. Because Love I do it. think, no, seriously, I didn't realize what you did is a thing. I knew it was a thing <laughs> that my teammates do, but I didn't realize it was really, I mean, I can obviously conceptualize why, but the fact that you do it and you're good at it, uh, I can just see in my own business what a massive difference that would make. So I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. And then Robert, in terms of increasing content or really moving down that road, what's a big suggestion that you're going to give to entrepreneurs right now? You know, it's really find out what you believe in and start writing and creating content about it. Create your, you know, create your own little media platform and start building an audience because whether you're an entrepreneur whether you're a small business or whether you're a large business, this is going to be the one thing that really differentiates you in the years to come. And it's, you know, I mean, the, the perfect example of this is the what you mentioned with the Bud Light thing, right? It, testing or not, but they didn't do was ask if the entire business believed in it. You know, the, what they've learned very in a very, very hard way is that the business didn't believe in what the marketing team was doing. So the marketing team went out on a limb with a huge campaign found out that the business wasn't quite prepared to stick up for them in their point of view about the world and where all of that was and really ended up eating a lot of crow. Forgive me for the pun there, Chris. I didn't mean <laughs> to do that. I don't even know what I happened there. But anyway, ended up having to really go back and backtrack quite a bit. And that's why that campaign fails because they didn't believe it. So find out what it is your point of view on the world is and where you can add value to your consumers through content and start thinking about your content platform, your infomercial. What is your infomercial? And, and start to build that platform where you can build your own audience. I love this. I may have to call you guys in because I think what is your infomercial is a great concept about how do you put yourself forward? How do you test it? How do you build the content for that? I don't think a lot of people are really exploring this. I think a lot of people are teaching you pieces. I have a training called Next Level that really takes people over 12 weeks, a variety of, of all the things that I think that you need to make your brand, but I hadn't put in testing and I hadn't put in content writing. So it's interesting how there's just, it, it's just as unfortunate as an entrepreneur, most people are doing a lot of this on their own. How do you afford a team when you're still trying to you know, pay for the team? It's been an interesting conversation as we have grown and I've watched people struggling around me and I don't like the word struggle. So I love that you both have you know, risen to your level of expertise in your field. And obviously you're not, you're not experts in other things. I'm glad that you do what you do really well, right? Where do you live, by the way? What part of the world are you in, Chris? Uh, I live in Utah, so I'm uh, actually I'm at a WeWork building, but I'm in the, the ski capital of the world, as we call because it. Because I'm loving the chair, and I'm like, hmm, look at that sexy chair. <laughs> I'm going to be back in Utah uh, with a dear friend of mine in November, Chris Crone. I'll be speaking at his event. Uh, okay. Love Utah. I've skied all the mountains there, uh, from Snowbird to Alta to over to Park City. 
Oh, and so best. I'll be back in the 801 area code soon. And Mr. Robert, where are you? I'm in the lovely, wonderful town of Los Angeles, California. Where I spent 20 some odd years living. All right. I'm impressed that you're still there. That's a little challenging <laughs> place to be between the driving and the taxes. And I'm not sure what's going on. But it, when, when the airport went from 12 miles away to two and a half hours away, I thought, I can't do this anymore. I love L.A. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I love L.A. I wouldn't live anywhere else. I have to, Once you fall in love with it, it's you can't leave. Well, yes, you can, because I live in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But it's still one of my all-time favorite places. Isn't that funny? Um, Chris, what's one thing that you do when you're not working? Um, well, I because of where I live, I live near the mountains. I uh, I spend a lot of time outdoors. And so during the summer, I hike. I have a, a favorite hike, actually, that I do where I hike up to a natural spring um, and drink out of the spring. And it's it's very uh, rejuvenating and meditative. And then during the wintertime, I go skiing every week. So I try to get out and, and uh, enjoy the beautiful scenery around here. Favorite mountain in that area is? Um, I love Timp. In fact, I'm hiking Timp. It's the tallest mountain in my area. It's up to uh, about 13,000 feet. So I'm hiking up there tomorrow morning, waking wow. up at 3 a.m. It'll be brutal. Oh, sounds like something us New Yorkers don't ever want to do. <laughs> I, have a, I have a pair of high heels and hiking up to the fourth floor was bad enough for me. Just saying. <laughs> and Mr. Robert, what do you do when you're not working? Uh, I play music. Mostly I, I, my original, you know, my original goal when I moved out here to Los Angeles, when I was yet a young lad was to become a rock star. So I still entertain that in my own little office and, and play music on the weekends. Uh, what instrument? And do you sing? Uh, I, I do not sing. Definitely do not <laughs> sing. Um, I, jazz and blues mostly. I'm a piano player. Oh, wow. How very exciting. All right. As we're going to wind this down, um, moving forward and looking ahead uh, as it's getting to be the last quarter of this year, and then everyone all of a sudden goes, it's the new year. We're going to do this all over again. Chris, what are you looking forward to? Um, I am looking forward to, <laughs> so ever since COVID hit, um, online businesses have had their worlds rocked. Uh, I mean, over 2020, 2021, every business I worked with was having record-breaking years, record-breaking traffic. Um, and so all the businesses that I was working with, they were just trying to extract as much value as they could. Over the last two years, it's been the opposite. It's been kind of a slump. So, you know, it hasn't been record-breaking traffic. Conversion rates are going down. It's getting harder to get traffic. It's getting harder to attribute where your traffic's coming from. Um, and so it's been more figuring out what's changing uh, what's changing right now? What's changing in our customer behavior? What's changing in online shopping behavior? Online, if you're B two B, you know, figuring out what are people doing as they tighten their budgets up? How do we how do we get messaging out that resonates with people? So for me, what I'm most excited for is to watch and see what are the trends going to be as as I test with different businesses. What are going to be the changes? What's what are the big shifts in customer behavior, and how can we better capitalize on those big changes? I love that. Anything you can predict that we should be thinking about? One of the biggest prediction changes? Mm, I will say value propositions. I already mentioned value propositions earlier. Your, your unique selling propositions are more important than they've ever been. Over COVID, you could just say, I'm selling green widgets and everyone would come and buy them. Um, now, because everyone has shifted their businesses to online and there's 50,000 people selling green widgets online, it's becoming more important than ever to distinguish yourself from the crowd. And so if it's quality, then you need to get really good at helping your customers understand what is 
the quality of your product and how can you help them visually and emotionally understand that quality? Do you communicate that through imagery, through video, through content, through all three, right? Like what is it that's going to really communicate your value propositions to your audience? Um, those are, I think the biggest things that companies need to be thinking about is how to, how to highlight the unique selling propositions for their brands. I love that distinction about where we have come from. Mr. Robert, what are you looking forward to? You know, I'm looking forward to a little bit of normalcy, hopefully. You know, I mean, for the last, what is it, 12 months, 18 months, uh, there's been this looming recession that never seems to actually materialize. And so I think a lot of us have been operating out of fear for the last uh, the last 12 or 18 months. And I think there's been a lot of real trepidation in terms of doing new and innovative things. I've been calling it change fatigue. You know, we came out of COVID and we changed everything. We changed our digital, we changed our business strategy, we changed our this. And then around the early part of 2023, we all went, okay, enough change already. Let's just figure out what we're doing and see if we can't do it well. And I'm seeing that there's a real lack of interest in a fatigue, if you will, in, in terms of, doing new, innovative, growth-oriented things. And a lot of that has been in, inherited because of the sort of perception that any minute now we're going into a recession and it just didn't seem to actually ever materialize. And so I'm very much looking forward to hopefully getting over that. And in the fourth quarter, and certainly in early 24, getting much more into a growth and innovation mindset again, where people are really eager to actually start in on transforming their businesses and transforming their lives and really getting into sort of a more of a growth mentality. Well, and unfortunately, we're heading into another presidential election. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exhausting that, uh, that presidential elections take two years to run. Can we just... Pick a, pick a date, go, elect him, and move on. I don't need the two yeah. years of debates and things. That's a, yeah, that's a different show, though, isn't it, Forbes? Well, but it definitely, <laughs> it definitely wears on all of us in terms of Indeed. media buying and where eyeballs are and what they're focused on. Um, Chris, any worries about the future for you? Um, No, you know, I have been, I, I sometimes will tell my friends, I mean, they'll they'll ask me, um, why I got into what I what I do right now and what's my end goal. And honestly, I'm just kind of along for the ride. I, I feel like I jumped on a speedboat and just started heading out into the ocean. And I don't exactly know where where I'm going. I don't have any any particular uh, vision of selling my business one day or anything like that. I, I'm, I'm just kind of looking forward to seeing where things go over the next little bit. So I don't have any major concerns, any major fears right now. Um, and again, because I'm a testing guy, um, if things change, then I'll change <laughs> and I'll try, I'll try new approaches. So I, 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 I think it's fun. I, I'm very, I'm a little anti-establishment. Every time one of my team members, we have to sit down and do the five-year plan. And I'm like, I hope I'm around in five years. Yeah, right. they, hate, they hate that answer so much. <laughs> Forbes, what's your end goal? I'm like, the, the cemetery, what is the end goal? <laughs> I literally say to people, I'm a girl who lives in the now, so there's yeah. no real end goal. I'm yeah. you know, finally figured out the beautiful man and the kids and them and the money and all of this. I just enjoy what I have. Yes, and exactly. I think what pisses me off about business, and I think some of my younger teammates are going, Yeah, every year we need a 20% increase, otherwise, we're doing terrible. No, like you said, I'm on a speedboat, I'm enjoying the view, and why is everyone making me feel bad that I've got a great life and I don't need a whole lot more. Exactly. Like, all right. Exactly. And I'm, I'm not sure if we all make each other nuts by coming up with these things. And can we just enjoy where we are? Robert, what makes you supremely happy? 
It is the gratitude that I have for exactly the way you said it very well. It is having the gratitude for my ability. I call it the bandwidth of change. Like in other words, how much freedom do I have about the choices that I'm making in my life? And the more, what I find is the more gratitude I have for what I have, the more choices that I have in that. And that just widens out that bandwidth. Uh, and really it's only when you feel pressured and in a corner that you're not happy. You have to make a decision because you have to make it, or you have to make a decision in a particular way because you feel like you have to do something. That's the most unpleasant place for me to be. So the more choice I have in the world, the more abundant I feel. And really it's having the gratitude to have what I have. It gives me that. Well, I will say as I'm listening to you, I love the whole mastermind. I could talk marketing all day long. In fact, <laughs> I used to piss my my the kids, the parents of my my kids, because they all want to talk about the house paint or what they flowered, they planted. No, no, let's talk about marketing. I could do this all day. <laughs> Chris, what makes you supremely happy? Um, I've got two uh, two little girls, um, a seven year old and a ten year old, and they are just uh, the love of my life. I have a, a beautiful wife as well, so I, I'm I'm in a home full of women that I love. And, uh, and the best part of my day is going home to those three, those three girls. So, um, I, I just, again, like you were saying, um, part of my, um, living in the now is as long as I can keep doing what I'm doing and have time with my family, like that's, that's all I want. If I have to do something that requires me to sacrifice time with my family, it's an almost guaranteed no. And so it, sitting there watching my kids. Uh, watch, I watched my 10-year-old teach my seven-year-old something the other day, and it was just like the greatest moment of my life, um, just watching these girls develop and grow. So that's that's what brings me joy. I love that. And I will preach that as well. While it's nice to figure out your customer and have all your systems in place at the end of the day, having people who love you that you love and things to do, I believe is what makes you happy. And then when it's over, it's like, okay, it's over. Robert, you have kids? I do not have kids. I got a sense that you didn't. Are you married? I am married. I've been married 35 years. Oh, so you're supremely happy. If you need kids, he's got I am you. Super I easily, got yes, <laughs> I am supremely happy. And if not, everybody will tell me I am. So I should just shut up. Yeah. I, it has been such a delight to meet the two of you. I have a chance to go through down this road. I have a feeling there's some business to be done because I'm always like looking for the white space. So I love meeting both of you. I have a very large growing audience of over 18,000 students that are active in our community. So stay connected to us. I will take advantage and just remind us, Chris, how do we find you? So uh, my website is uh, smart-cro.com and put slash Forbes-factor um, if anyone wants to take advantage of, uh, of the free um, website consultation I talked about. I love that. And Robert? Contentadvisory.net is the website. And then LinkedIn, I love connecting with people on LinkedIn. It's my favorite social media platform. Well, I would definitely say to both of us, let's check everybody out on LinkedIn. My name is Forbes Riley. You've been listening to The Forbes Factor. Guys, today we delve real deep into what marketing is about from the concept of being able to test. So it's not only what you think works because odds are what you think is simply your perspective might not in fact be your customer. You want to make some more money. You want to check out both of my guests. I want to thank them both very, very much. And all my watchers and listeners on Facebook, uh, you guys, what a great journey this has been. To everyone at Voice America, thank you to my sponsors as well. You guys, every week we work very hard to bring you the best and the brightest ideas, keep you thinking and talking and connected so that you can, in fact, live a great life. You heard it today. The business is nice, but the love and the gratitude is where it all really, it's where the pedal meets the metal. All right, everybody, I will see you again next time right here on the Forbes Factor. We focus on health, wealth, and happiness. And right now I'm feeling all three, so it must be a good day. Be well, and I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for making the Forbes Factor an important part of your week. Be sure to join Forbes Riley again next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you again soon.